0: The Team Never Quit podcast is sponsored by Navy Federal Credit Union. Partner up with Navy Federal Credit Union to pay down credit card debt. Learn more at NavyFederal.org.
1: All right, everybody. Welcome back to the TNQ podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Luttrell. Every week, it's my job to fire you up
0: Welcome to the show, man. Thank you guys uh, so much for this opportunity to talk about the the greatest generation. Yeah, I, I'm I'm looking forward to hearing what you got, man. Because the,
1: the way you've been doing it. Thanks again for doing that. I mean, as our community, that it goes all the way all the way back, and the the World War II guys and gals, man, are awesome. I mean, they, they the way they grew up and how they grew up is, was unbelievable, man. So thanks thanks again for taking the time to do it. But before we get into all the stories, man, I want to back it up a little bit. I just want to find out a little bit about you, like where you're from and and how you got into that, if you sure.
0: don't mind. Yeah, of course. So my name is Rishi Sharma. Uh, and for the last five years, you know, I've been doing these interviews with World War II veterans. I'm from Agora Hills, California. It's a suburb north of Los Angeles. Uh... You know, my folks immigrated from India. Uh, They moved to Kansas, spent one winter there and realized that's not the place to be. And they moved to California. So I I grew up in Southern California. And I've always been interested in history. I've always been interested in, uh, you know, military history, especially. But I think what has set me on the course I am on was the simple fact that I would go to India as a child for family visits and I would see the contrast of that society of a basically a third world country versus suburbia in southern California and I and I really would ponder at a young age why is it that we are so much better off here and you know I didn't really answer the question at that age but as I've gotten older I've realized it's because of sacrifices you know legitimate bloodshed and sacrifice that has been paid time and time again for us to live in a free society where a young kid growing up in Southern California's only problem is, you know, getting stuck in traffic or how many Facebook friends he has. All right. And, you know, as I was younger, I would watch movies like Saving Private Ryan or, or Band of Brothers, The Pacific, stuff like that. And I would always get this. I don't know how to explain it, except a weird feeling in my stomach. Uh, it, it was this idea of how could people at such a young age be willing to sacrifice everything, and 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 for me, and and it, it was just a weird feeling. And and it's that ethos of putting others before yourself, which is in total contrast to my generation, right? The selfie generation, where it's me, 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 me. Yeah. That that idea of just putting others before yourself is such an attractive ideal. Uh, for me to aspire to that, you know, so so that was kind of always in the background of, of my mindset. But what really started me on this journey, uh, when I was a sophomore in high school, I was reading a book called Citizen Soldiers. It's a compilation of veteran, uh, World War II veteran perspectives from D-Day to V-E-Day when Germany surrendered yeah. by Stephen Ambrose. And it, it had one chapter about the Battle of the Bulge from the perspective of a man named Lyle Book. This is a, he was 21 years old. Uh, he had just gone through OCS. He was a 90-day wonder. Oh, oh yeah, go ahead. Got <laughs> ten. Explain overseas. what that
1: is. Explain what that is.
0: Oh, okay. So a 90-day wonder is basically, that's how long officer candidate school was during World War II. We had to get men to the front so quickly that you know they really took what could be a couple years and put it into 3 months right and so often these officers were green untrained not battle tested obviously and their life expectancy was probably as long as their training uh, if not less
1: less right and so and then yeah, and so- then
0: on top of that they get
1: put in on the front line with battle hardened soldiers our guys who have to take their orders yeah who have to who- exactly right who have to follow (laughs) their commands even and you can tell when they what their uniforms are shiny i mean you can tell when somebody eases in like that immediately and all it takes is one good battle to straighten your ass up it does it really it happens fast in combat but the and i don't know how we survive that way but we do the learning curve is so steep because when those officers walk in there man they either die or do
0: it's unbelievable go ahead I would much rather take my chances with the staff sergeant than with a. I don't know why we don't do lieutenant. that. Yeah, I don't know why
1: that doesn't happen, but it, we we don't. <laughs> I don't know how that. It's the craziest thing. You think, well, man, you got these enlisted guys been running the show. They could easily go in and promote them to a, a, an enlisted lower rank, like a, an ensign or a second lieutenant, whatever. But we yeah we
0: don't. It's crazy. Yeah, give them a battlefield commission. I mean, I think yeah. maybe some lobbyists at West Point. But anyways. The, so this veteran, his name's Lyle Buch. He's out of OCS. He gets sent overseas to the 99th Division, and basically, what happened was the 99th Division was a new outfit. They were sent to the Ardennes Forest, which was supposed to be a quiet section where they were going to get to test themselves out for a little while before the push into Germany. And that just happens to be the exact place the Germans decided to do the largest counterattack. Yeah. How about War that? <laughs> and so, is legendary. He's at the very tip of the spear. He's right there and his world changes overnight. Germans are pouring into their section. He has an understrength platoon. As you guys know, it's supposed to be 42. He has 20 men, including himself. And they held, they held off 500 Germans for for over two days they were literally on the side of a hill jumping in and out of foxholes popping out whenever they saw a german and it held up the german advance half of those 20 were killed the other half including himself were captured and they didn't realize you know they had contributed so greatly to the allied victory until many years later but what happened was those 500 germans they held up we're getting supplies and gas to the German armor, and yeah. they weren't able to move. And so there was enough time that they delayed the Germans that General Patton was able to bring up the 4th Armored Division, all these other divisions that were in reserve, and push the Germans back.
1: Yeah. But anyway.
0: La Hell, Hulu you had
1: Easy it. in there, too, now. That, that's the funniest thing. When the, when the ID showed up, they're like, we didn't need any damn help. Bro, that, those guys fought so hard and it, it it just goes to show you man when you hold your spot even though you might think it's insignificant and and but you got no idea what they were carrying which is the most vital information and, and food and resources because that in itself is what if you're going to start a fight man that's the first thing you got get that's the first thing gets overlooked but that's the most important thing
0: you're you're, to- you're totally right and you know there was one quote he had in the book sir and it was that he was fortunate. He had just gone through this horror deal, You know, he was a POW for the rest of the war. And he ended his chapter by saying he was fortunate. And I just, I'm 16 years old and I'm reading this. And it blew my mind. I just, you know, because I'm not that much younger than him. And I had this weird feeling in my stomach again, where I had to tell this man that because of what he went through, the hell he endured... I exist. And so I looked him up and it's pretty easy to find people's information on the Internet, especially in the U.S. (laughs) You'd be surprised what you could find on that dang thing, man. (laughs) And so I found his phone number and he was alive, you know, 93, living in Missouri. And it was like eight o'clock at night, California time. So I knew he was in the Midwest, but for some reason I couldn't wait. Like I said, it was just like this burning desire just to make him know that what he did, everything he endured, it was worth it. And and so I called him. So it must have been like 1030 or something his time. And this lady picks up and I say, is this Lyle book the war hero? <laughs> great, great delivery, by the way. <laughs> and she starts laughing. She says, no, but if you call in the morning, he'll talk to you. <laughs> and I swear, I didn't. I didn't sleep at all that night. I'm just... I'm just so amped up. You know, this is the first World War II veteran, right? These are legends who I've just seen on the movie screen. I'm about to talk to one. And so I call in the morning and he was so friendly. And, you know, he's telling me all these little kind of behind the scenes stories, things that they didn't put in the book and what it was really like. And I just realized I have his chapter open in one hand. I'm holding the phone in the other. And it just dawned on me to talk to a real life hero, someone who fought and almost died for my and millions of other people to exist, our existence. I can just pick up the phone and call him. But to get to some stupid celebrity who's dumbed down our culture like the Kardashians, I'd have to go through a million gatekeepers and still not get them. And and I just realized if it's that easy, you know, let me try this again. And so I called a few other veterans from the book and then I was telling my history, uh, not my history, my psychology, I think. Anyways, I was telling one of my teachers, it was actually my science teacher, uh, about this at school. And they, I said, I, it's great talking to the veterans, but I want to meet some. You know, I, I don't come from a military background at all. I should make that clear. I mean, I have no military at all in my family. My family's from India. You know, so it's for I'm a first generation you know immigrant, I guess or born, first generation born. And the teacher told me, "Well, there's your retirement home down the street. Why don't you go see if there's some veterans there? And I'd never even been in a retirement home. And so that day I rode my bike after school to the retirement home, and I walk up to the receptionist and I say, uh, "Are there any World War II veterans I can talk to, please?" You know, it's like, can I check out a World War II yeah, yeah, veteran right, for yeah, a couple exactly. hours? <laughs> and, and she had no idea what to do with me. So she says, let me have you talk to the director. And she walks into this room and out comes a, a big burly man named Lloyd with a huge mustache. I, I remember that so distinctly. And he says, come in, son. And I walk into his his office and I explain you know, I want to meet some World War II veterans. And he says, why? And I never even thought of an answer until that point. I just thought, like, I want to hang out with them. And I, then I realized, well, that might be kind of weird. So I came up with this excuse. I want to interview them. I mean, I had no intention of doing these interviews. I just wanted to meet my heroes and th- and tell them that I appreciate what they went through. But he thought it was a great idea. He said, You're the youngest person I've seen come in these doors voluntarily. And because of that, I'm going to introduce you to every World War II veteran we have. So he introduced me to 25 different World War II veterans door to door. And he let me use an empty office space as a studio. I went home that day. I cried. I begged for a camera from Costco. My mom got me one. And then every day for the next two months, I basically went to that retirement home and I interviewed the veterans. And they were telling me these incredible stories, things you don't read about in history books—the the real frontline combat, what it was like—and and, and it's, it was all true. I would look it up, you know, verify what they're saying. And they were they were so excited to share their stories with someone, to have a young person just want to come and sit and listen to you for hours. It made them feel valued, and that's how I realized this is what I'm meant to do. And I've just been on the road ever since. I was. Uh, you know, the local paper did a story about my mission and uh, people started calling me in the neighborhood to go interview their grandpa or their dad. Some of the veterans even called me themselves and uh, and said, hey, you know, come on over. That's awesome. And I would just ride my bike to them. And this was a scene. This is senior year by now. And I was in such a contrast. Right. I'm talking to these legends. Who you can ask anything about the past 120 years and get a first hand answer as a response. And then I'm, you know, then I'm back in English class with kids who are more concerned about, you know, who's wearing what in celebrity, you know, what what's on their phones. It it was just such a contrast that I started ditching class to go do the interviews because I'm learning more from the veterans
1: than I was in
0: school. That sent it straight in there.
1: That 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 completely changes your life. It all encircles who you who you, um, surround yourself with, but when you come into this world, man, you're, that's why they say you're an empty book. There's nothing written on your pages. You walk into that house, it's like walking into a library full of World War II history, And he, but only the books can talk to you. Man, they, they can give you all that. And and the, the, the surprise notes, it's pretty cool, man.
2: That is so cool. A- absolutely. We share the love of World War II veterans. I mean, Marcus and I, every time we get a chance to meet one, we're... There are heroes, too. and
1: They'll give you something short and sweet. Yeah. I mean, wisdom. That, that, that's what that is, so you can remember it.
2: Yeah.
1: I, I saw something the other day They're like, hey, look, man, when you get to the, the your middle age in life, you're going to do one of two things. You're either going to get real into World War II history or start learning how to barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> I've done both. so uh...
2: We had the chance to, um, when Hurricane Harvey hit Houston, we're in the Houston area, and um, there was a, vet, a World War II veteran that, was in his house and right after the flood people had to go in and they call it mucking out the houses because the drywall had gotten all nasty and wet um he didn't want to you have to leave your house when that's happening i mean you're you're literally tearing your house apart and this world war ii veteran did not want to leave his house to have anyone muck it out he was like i'm good just leave me alone he just didn't want to have it done and the um, school that our kids go to they had a volunteer group going door to door to muck out houses, and they called and said, Hey, there's this World War II veteran that will not leave his house, and it's toxic in there. <laughs> like, because it's sewage water that ends up flooding in there, it's really gross. It smelled awful. And they said, Do you think Marcus can come and talk to him? And so <laughs> we went down there, and he was the nicest sweetest we just wanted to pick him up and hug him and like bring him home but he was just
1: this. you did do that we did <laughs> you brought him yeah we did we got a new we got a new house guest. yeah but, so that's awesome we, I know, that's what she does, man.
2: so we he he started crying and he did he had he's been in that house for 35 years his wife had just died this was like the first weekend of september his wife had just died in may and um, he didn't have flood insurance. And he said, I don't want to have to go to a, like a home, a state home. Yeah. And he said, I don't want to lose everything I had. And Marcus and I are tearing up. And Marcus said, uh, you fought for us, so we'll fight for you. We're going to get your house back in order. We had no idea how we were going to do it because it's really expensive to do I'm that. Sure. <laughs> like over $100,000. I can't
1: believe we showed up for that.
2: We were able to do a GoFundMe and raise enough money, not only to get his, like, house reconstructed, we bought new sheets and silverware and, That like, sucker had a Cadillac in the, in the driveway we when were we got out there. Yeah. He was still <laughs> driving. <laughs> he was 99. He was still driving. We got him... His car had flooded out, so we got him a new... Well, it was a used Cadillac. Um... What else? I mean, like, oh, food for One group volunteered to, like, feed him for a year. Oh, man,
1: people showed up from yeah. Indiana, the firefighters. Yeah, dope, one group. In the police officers. just all first responders. Yeah, one Can't group did them,
2: uh, mowed his yard for a year. Like, yeah. all this On his stuff. birthday, man,
1: they would parade. The town would come by and parade They
2: paraded for him. for him. It was oh, the coolest thing. Oh, my thing. God. God
0: bless you guys. I mean, you changed his whole world. Oh, so. I mean, oh, he changed ours.
2: So he ended up moving into
0: ours. Yeah, he moved in.
2: <laughs> he moved I in. I couldn't
0: in get tower. rid
1: of that after yeah. a while he lived to be 190 no, no. Okay. No, like
2: 100. he lived to be 103 yeah, awesome. and a half and um <laughs> but he moved in to our family ranch while we were redoing his house and we were able to move him in on his 100th birthday yeah and wow. he lived to be 103 and a half in great the family. house yeah they got a great family great family love i love all of them so much they've become part of our family but that's, that's our little that's so
0: cool yeah i mean it was, I mean, so then you guys know, most of the people I interact with, I have to explain to them, you know, why this generation is so different. It's their, their spirit. There's yeah. something so pure yeah. and genuine about, I, they do things for no other reason than it's just like the right thing to do. And it's so like natural. Yeah. And. It, you know, just what they what they went through with the depression, the war. They have every reason to be bitter and angry at the world, and they're not. Sure,
1: who they were raised by. I mean, in, in that particular era, if you go back and study it, it's it, it's unbelievable. Just the fact that they came through it, and that war. They just sent them away, and they had to walk through Europe. I mean, when it, had died, it just. It's unfathomable what they did and how they came together, and you're right, man, it's the young ones, and in wartime, the first person to die in combat was probably the best person you had in your country, like that's the way it works in war. Your best go over there and die first, they'll get them get them out of the way. Just that's a penance God puts on us for fighting each other mm-hmm. and then and then it kind of goes from there for sure so, I
0: mean, it, it, it's just incredible just how vast it was, you know we're talking about you a. You know, a whole generation from 1915 to 1926 that's the age range so that's 11 years of people who would have been involved in combat obviously the older were officers majors that kind of thing youngers were privates but it's incredible that the youngest world war ii combat veteran now 96.
1: yeah that's an entire that's
0: 11 years that's a decade
1: one decade is a generation of kids I mean, that, that, you're your entire. The only time that's happened again is with us, because you have G. Watts and the uh, the Iraq and the Afghanistan boys. Twenty years, two wars.
0: Yeah, and it, I mean, it, it's incredible because there'll be some stories of some of the younger veterans. They'll be writing down. I mean, we're talking about the only time basically this country was really united. Right? We had 16 million people in the service, yeah. men, women. 420,000 were killed overseas. But everyone was contributing in some way. Some of the younger veterans who I have interviewed, uh, they remember riding their bikes down the street in some of those townhouses. And every single house would have a blue or a gold star in the window, Mm -hmm. often multiple. Blue meaning they're in the service, someone in my family's in the service, gold meaning someone's been killed. And then they were old enough themselves, they would go overseas. I mean, I remember one of the first Iwo Jima veterans I interviewed. He turned 19 on the ship over to Iwo, and everyone in his platoon called him old man. How about that? Because these are all 17, 18-year-olds. 17, 17 17-year-olds, that's lied. right.
1: That's right. Lied to get in. That's I mean, a crazy. It's thing. unbelievable. I
0: mean, they're, they're changing their births to kibitz. They're lying to put themselves in harm's way. Yeah. How
1: about that? When you get a—whatever the temperament of the country is, it can grow. It can get strong. I mean, it's stronger and stronger and stronger. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. And the average age of the even in the military today, that are driving the aircraft carriers, you're looking at like a 19 to 23 year old
2: that, yeah. that's wow. in control of that. Marcus and I went on um, How about that a huge aircraft carrier, and they said that the. The guy that's yeah, the wheel man, the wheel man, he was 18. 18. I'm like, wait,
1: no, <laughs> driving the Truman. That's not, we're okay. not talking a little dinghy, we're talking about an aircraft carrier, a floating city. You got an 18 year old with a freaking knob on the wheel just going down, you know, yeah. running it through the gunnels. <laughs> how awesome is that? No, I mean, that, that when I remember crazy. when I came in, you hear one of my uh chiefs, he's he had his birthday when I first came in. He's like, I was like, how old are you? He's like 32. I was like, whoo, whoo, that retirement age, bro. You're getting close to death.
0: <laughs> I, I remember
1: thinking that. I, I just I don't know why I had that in my head, but I was like, oh, 32, man, you're ancient. And then the guys who retire out of the military are 40. Yeah, I mean, that, that's yeah. not old at all. You think that it is, but it's not. The problem is is like we don't grow up fast, we just get big fast. Growing up takes a, a, a long time. And you spend the first twenty years of your life, that's your childhood. You're not even. Yeah. You don't even know what you don't know. And then there's the interim, right? So it's funny how you know our idea of what time is and experience in it. it it's all. It's all relative to who you hang around. And I, I learned this about about some hanging out with the elders. The reason they act the way they do is because death. Because of how much death they see. I mean, it changes you in ways you can't even imagine. Well, and the reason I am the way I am is because of how much death I've seen early in my life. I mean, it just you're not supposed to you're not supposed to go to more than one or two funerals before you get to that age. Yeah. And then you talk to the elders, it's, it's always around them. So man, they value life a lot more. Anybody who's had to be around death does that.
0: And that's such a true uh, statement, sir. The idea that from the age group of 19, you could say 18, 19 to like 25, these men saw in world war II saw their friends getting killed. They had to kill people. I mean, that's just the reality. And They come home and they realize, like you said, they've got a second chance at life. And it's amazing how they have used their lives. Seldom have I met veterans who come home from the war and do nothing. It seems like every single one has decided to be active in their community, contribute to their community, go travel, go help people, do things out of the ordinary, Because they feel like they've got that second chance and they're not going to waste it. I mean, if you look, if you think about it, 4-H, Rotary, Lions, all these civic organizations, the Legion, they were either created by World War II veterans or their ranks were filled after the war. Mm -hmm. It became a volunteer army. And it's just really incredible because, for example, I've interviewed this one veteran. He was the first double amputee, you know, you can imagine from World War II. How many double amputees are you going to find? Sure. Um, but he's night he was nineteen in the first Infantry Division, which is out of Fort Riley or Camp Riley, but back then, gets sent overseas. and he was only in combat for two weeks and a mortar, a German mortar came he 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 remembers the night distinctly here hear, he heard some Germans on the other side of a hedge. Next thing he knows, a mortar comes and and he can't feel his legs. Mm. He gets sent back to the states, goes to rehab amazingly the girl he was going steady with um it's she you know she. i interviewed her as well because she She stuck around was dating him yeah say that uh, again she, she stuck around exactly that's exactly awesome. nice exactly you you know and they had only they had hardly been dating right they had met a couple times and but she went into the amputee hospital and she saw the first the first person she saw was a quadruple amputee strung up and she was carrying some books and magazines for Charles, the veteran, and she dropped it. She lost it because she thought that was him. Yeah. But then she looked at him and he was calling her over because he was in a bed a couple over. And he had, she said he only had two legs missing. So I figured we could do this. Yeah. And, How about that? I, yeah, it, it, it was a great attitude. He comes home. He gets prosthetics. And... He wanted to contribute to his community, so he started working for the VA, making prosthetics for other amputees. In his 90s, he was still volunteering making prosthetics. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, good for him. Yeah. Good for her,
1: too.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. It says I a lot mean, about her. i
1: tell you what, I'm going to pay my sister in law a compliment right now. She said something. My brother got hit in the face the other day and almost lost, like busted his eye out. And before we knew that he still had his eye, she, she literally looked at me and she goes, Oh, if he just lost an eye, I can live with that. <laughs> she said that to me. My, she's ride or die. I mean, yeah. my sister's. law, she's so hard. I love that girl, man, woman, lady. She. Mm-hmm. But she said that to, we were in the hospital. My brother's back there getting his eyes put back in. Yeah. And, uh, she's like, oh, I can, handle, is, is, I can live with this. he okay? Oh, yeah, he's fine. He, he's just being a wimp. He I ended mean, he up. Took re- a bad <laughs> no,
2: he took a really hard hit, and he miraculously recovered very quickly. But God, he's being um, a
1: pussy. He's freaking tough.
2: <laughs> no, he. Yeah, he was. That's
1: why all the text. Wolverine's is here now. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> so what if that's why he's your congressman? <laughs> yeah. He just was elected to badass. Congress. Yes.
0: Oh, congrats. Congrats. <laughs> Thank this is you. awesome. Thank um, you. I'll take all the credit for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Well, people probably thought it was you, right? When they were bro, hey, bro,
1: you can't imagine what I have to go through now. <laughs> yeah. Which it's under, I mean, we're getting,
2: Yeah, it, it's it, a I'll mess. Talk, I
1: mean, it's a mess. It is. It's funny to me because I had to, what I had to go through in the beginning, I'm prepped for it. I'm absolutely prepped for yeah. it. And it. And it makes me feel good, but there is the fact that it's happening. I mean, that that kind of throws me off a little bit because he has a different power than I have, and people automatically, I want to have a conversation with somebody, and then it's,
2: they're like, "So can you get yeah, this I mean, road fixed?" <laughs> yeah, and Marcus is like,, like no, no, I
1: can't I, I mean I, I can. I'll get to it. You know what I mean? I, I'm having to learn yeah, how to speak that kind of there's an interim language that I'm having to learn.
2: The language is, I'm not the congressman. That's my simple <laughs> that's go-to. My out,
1: but then they, they won't believe that because most people forget that I have a twin. Yeah. I mean, they don't even know that there's, and I would imagine there's some people out there that have correlated both stories together.
0: Of course. Together. Of course. Oh, that's, yeah. You know what I mean? That. Like, he,
1: he, yeah. there is he no just made of, it all up. There's no two of us, there's just one guy yeah. who went through all that. Now he's a, and now I have to deal with that, so, so that's yeah. cool, man.
2: Well, um, have you been able to interview any of the women World War II veterans?
0: So the the interviews I do, we focus on combat veterans. And back in World War II, you know, it was segregated. Uh, So obviously, I haven't interviewed many veterans of color, but I, you know, also women were not allowed on the front. I have interviewed a few nurses. Uh There were eight nurses killed at Anzio, at the Battle of Anzio, when the Germans were shelling a tent hospital. So I haven't interviewed any of them, but I have interviewed some frontline nurses. But uh, the interviews I do... We focus on all the allied countries. Right. So it's not just the U.S. Like I've been to the Canada, the U.K., Australia, New Zealand, you know, because I, I want, you know, it was this whole effort, combined effort. Right. So I have interviewed some women from Poland. Oh, wow. Because the Germans obviously overtook Poland and there was something called the Warsaw Uprising and Women and, you know, girls and boys were on the same level there. We're talking about this girl who I interviewed was 15 years old and she saw as much combat as some of these hardened combat veterans in the U.S. I mean, because they were totally surrounded by Germans and yeah. they were just it was street fighting and it, it was very intense. She she had one particular story I could never forget. Um, they were in the second story of a house and a German tank. I mean, the whole idea of the uprising was the Russians were coming closer to the river Vistula, and they were going to come. And then the uprising would happen and the Russians, everyone would push the Germans away. But Stalin was in charge and he realized all these people giving the Germans problem in Warsaw would give him problems when he overtook Mm. uh, Poland and made a part of the Soviet Empire. So he decided to do nothing. So that these Warsaw people, the the Polish, did the uprising and they were slaughtered. And I mean, they they, because they totally expected support and they got nothing. It was a battle of 62 days, 64 days, excuse me. And hundreds of thousands of of kids really were killed because that's all who was left. It was the kids who were doing the fighting. Anyways, she was uh, a squad leader in the underground army and They had to go through these sewers. I mean, we're talking about where there was actually, you know, feces, everything, just to get away from the Germans. And they went under, uh, into a sewer, came out into this building. They were in the second story, and they saw a German tank. And it was almost like out of a movie, the way she was describing it. It was turning its turret, looking like a shark, like a predator for someone to fire at. And... Everyone ducked down. There were some sandbags halfway up on the window, but there was one boy. He was, according to her, he was seventeen. And he had just come back from a first aid station. He had a bandage on his head, and he was kind of dazed out of it. And he didn't get down. Everyone got down except him. He's just looking at this tank, transfixed. And the tank's only like fifty-five yards away, and it, it blows up. You know, it fires the the cannon next thing she knows, uh, it's dark and she's wet Mm. and she thinks she's been hit. You know, there's debris, there's glass and she's trying to find her wound. And she looks over and that 17 year old boy had no head.
2: Oh my gosh. And,
0: and so it was his blood and it, you know, it was just incredible. I mean, this is a young girl who whose only problem should be trying to figure out what does she want to do with her life, you know, in a safe environment. And this is what she has to go through. And and she became a prisoner of war because they had to surrender. And, you know, and it's just incredible just what she, she immigrated to the U.S. I interviewed her in San Francisco. So, I mean, I mean, everyone, I mean, when you look at the world, even in in the U.K., right, London was bombed over and over. 40,000 women and kids were killed from the german bombings and you know that's an awful existence yeah so, i mean we, we've been so fortunate in the u.s besides pearl harbor and 9-11 obviously those were the two attacks yeah. on our soil yeah but we, we've been so blessed um not to have an invasion occur not to have street to street fighting. sure like it's, nice, it's nice to live over here on yeah. this side
1: of the pond it is there all that stuff where they like doing that for sure, there's our, our town elder. She's 103, mm-hmm. and wow. she, she was a wasp in World War II. Okay, I, I, most people don't know what those are, and most people have never seen one. I, I had never seen one until I, I went over to uh, have coffee with her one morning. and She has her po- a wasp poster behind her with the their um, communicators for mm-hmm. the pilots. Yeah, yeah, and um, she's great. She I wrote walk a book in there, she's it. probably have five thousand elephant figurines on the wall. <laughs> Okay, because she has a memory like an elephant. She, she's written okay. three or four books about our town. It's funny. I'll be sitting there. and I'll ask her a question about something. She's like, "Son, that was back 190 whatever." Yeah. I mean, dude, I should have started throwing some stuff at me where I wouldn't even couldn't even fathom it. With different names of the towns. Yeah. How often those change? What what came in with where?
0: She's great, man. So
1: she. So I mean,
0: that's such a true point. Their memory. People have a misconception about the elderly sometimes. You know whether oh, you. That's that frame but that gets worked out. Yeah, that's right. That's completely right. It's not the it's not the age; it's the mileage. And those World War Two ones
1: had the mileage, man. They 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 put the work in.
2: Well, even if they start, most of them, like my grandma, right now is dealing with um, an early onset of dementia, and it's she still remembers World War Two. She still remembers mm-hmm. everything from like thirty plus years ago. Sure. It's that short term within the last thirty years. She's just not really grasping and can't really remember it but they still even those that are losing their memory they remember
1: yeah way back i remember telling me that in school they would give them uh pieces of paper with the shadow outlines of what the rush or what the planes look like yeah and then give them the binos to go out into the yard to look up in the sky for them <laughs> you know right
0: <what laughs> long-term memory is always better than short-term. I, you know, it, it's, but you know, those kind of experiences you can't forget, right. right? Yeah. You know, you, you literally cannot forget. I mean, just what they endured, what they saw. And I, I swear, I remember, you know, these veterans also have such a sense of humor. It's a great, it's great. That's the best thing you get out of the whole thing. I, I like that. Uh, I, I like when I try to, I always do small talk when I'm setting up you know, the camera for the interview and everything. And I remember I was telling the veteran, his family was there. And I was saying, you know, these veterans have great recollections. They remember everything. I swear some of these veterans can tell you the color of their socks uh, on a certain day in 1942. And this was a D-Day veteran he says, "Oh yeah, I can tell you exactly what color my underwear was on D-Day. It was brown. brown. <laughs> Damn right. Oh yeah, and my pants and uh, everything." But I mean, they're just so—they're uh, so witty. I, yeah. I wish I've been. My goal, you know, I wish there could be a TV show about these World War Two veterans. And so instead of some of these, you know, reality TV crap, I mean, these are the people who deserve the attention. They have the stories. Oh, Every sure. time you go in their house, it's like going back in time. It's like a museum. I was going to ask you with all these
1: interviews, you would think, I mean, th- that, that would be great.
2: Are you planning on doing if somebody did like, that? A, like a
1: running cycle of a, of some kind of, to write those stories up into any kind of whether it's an animation format or just a mini series that, that runs and you just plug those moments in left and right. Cause they are a blessing, man.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, it all to your question, Melanie. I mean, it, it, it's who, you know, I'm a nobody. I I've tried very hard to try to be an advocate for the veterans. And I feel like I'm, I'm just not doing it, uh, Right. I mean, every day I'm out there doing interviews and it, it's just tough because I'm trying to run the organization as well, right? Trying to do the admin, but I'm also the interviewer, the cameraman, the travel, you know, the, the travel agent, the you know, the guy who has to write the questions, uh said, you know, the fundraiser. I have to try to do all of that. And it's just tough to find the time to also get in touch with a production company and ask them. But I've sent so many emails, I've never got responses. My goal would be to create a docu-series Mm -hmm. because the veterans are three-dimensional characters. There's the vet, who they were in the war. Oh, yeah, sure. But also the way they are now. Now, The way they carry themselves in their 90s and 100s with such grace and humility. I think that's a totally fascinating aspect. And there's also, like, very lively. I interviewed a 105-year-old who still rides a bicycle. Hmm. I mean, there are plenty of veterans who still do interesting and are active in their community, and you know. So that's the goal. It'd be cool to make a show that kind of. It would be like a travel show. I like to say it's like Anthony Bourdain, Parts Unknown, but you know, it'd be people unknown. Yeah, people unknown.
2: That would be interesting. Yeah, you know,
0: because you could go to different. I've been to forty-nine states, right? I'm a very. I grew up in liberal Southern California, and I go in the middle. Of rural areas every day, meeting real Americans, hearing real stories. And it's like the most bipartisan you know connection, because it's not these talking extremists you see on TV, right? Everyone just wants a nice life for them and their family. And it's just so cool to go to these different pe- places and and know that everyone you know is the same, that they all it doesn't matter what part of the states you are, a veteran's a veteran, and they contributed for our way of life. And so it'd, I think it'd be really cool. That would
2: be neat. How are you organizing this? Like what's your roster? Do you have a roster of everyone that you have spoken to where they're at? And I'm sure a lot of them have passed away. Have you gone to their funerals? Like that's what my mind is thinking when you're doing this.
0: Well, I, you know, I, I really, I should make it clear. This is everything for me, right? I started doing these interviews at such a young age. When I graduated high school, I just hit the road. I mean, I, I am very blessed that senior year, CBS Sunday Morning did a story. So I was able to raise some funding. And I told my parents I'd be gone for a couple months. And I haven't been back in five years. Oh, like, I've gosh. just been on the road doing these interviews. So I don't have friends my age. You guys are probably the youngest people I've seen, like, in a long time. <laughs> uh, I You know, I I don't do any, like, social, like, I don't drink or anything. Like, it's just every day is out there meeting the veterans and interviewing them. So... I I'm in a I'm in a little bit of a bubble. This is my whole world. Without them, I'm nothing. And I'm really scared uh for the a world without any World War II veterans. Because that's a world without any moral compass, right? They've always been at the head of the ship, steering us through thick and thin. These are my idols, and it kills me literally. Uh, if they're not with us. And, and I've become close to a lot of them. Um and you know, you know, there are a couple of veterans, you know, I, I who who passed. You know, one was Quinton Murdoch, who was a first wave veteran, North Africa, Sicily, Omaha Beach, um, and and that was really tough. I and then there was another man who was in the Navy at Guadalcanal who passed. Those were two who's whose I went to their services, and it was a little too much because, uh, you know, I don't. It really bothers me, basically, because I know what the world has lost. It's not just an older person. It's not just a grandpa. It's this person who is like Atlas, who put the world on his shoulder. Yeah. And it just kills me.
1: Well, yeah, i telling witness. their stories, man. They never really die. And don't, 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 don't worry about hitting those funerals, because you're, not, you're designed to keep their memory alive. Mm-hmm. There's something about having to, at the final moments, watch someone die. When you do that, it kind of closes a chapter in their life. But with a lot of us, man, we don't ever see that. And they just keep living. They're always around. There's always something that reminds you of them. I mean, for, for good, bad, or indifferent. The what your takeaway? First of all, you've never even had time to reflect. Mm-hmm. You've just been receiving the whole time five years.
2: Yeah, you're still I, in it. Yeah, right? you're still in
1: it. So it's a receive, a reflect, and a response. Mm-hmm. Those those three, That's how that works. All that knowledge. I mean, you don't if, if you're not been saturated by all this silliness that's going on out here you've just been sitting around pure wisdom war war wisdom for that matter Mm
0: -hmm. which is
1: completely different than and growing up when
0: everything's good oh absolutely like you know like and it's just some of them are such simple concept like that guadalcanal navy veteran who died tom foreman you know he grew up going to bed hungry in the depression and he told himself whenever i get a job i'm going to stick with it so after the war, his ship got sunk and everything, you know, after he got home, he got a job with Bank of America and he, ha- he held the same job for 44 years. Yeah. I mean, it didn't change. And it's, it's just, you know, some of these simple things were be honest, treat people the way I just interviewed a veteran who got both of the legs machine gunned out in Maryland. And he says, I treat people for who they are, not what they are. You know, I I always ask the veterans for life advice at the end of the you know, or that session. And it's amazing, you know, because it's over 1700 interviews, right, of that kind of wisdom that that's why it's so important to get this in front of people. We have the YouTube channel, but like I said, a, a TV series would really do these veterans justice. It'd be really great to get their stories out there on the.
1: Yeah, so is there. A, well,
0: how, first of all, tell everybody how we can find all this right now, what, what you have. Mm-hmm. The rest of it will come from that. Yeah, yeah. So right now we have the, a YouTube channel. It's called Remember World War II. We put the interviews up there. You know when I can, like you know, you know my full time. It's not even a job. I don't get a salary, but like my full time. You know what I do is it do the interviews. So that always is priority, right? But when I get a chance, if I'm at a library, I'll try to edit some of the interviews because the veterans all get copies. That's the way that works. Like I meet a World War II veteran, I interview him. And it's a pretty long interview, sometimes about four hours, you know? I mean, it's about their early life, their combat experiences, and then advice. And so we give that to them and for free. And then if I get a chance, I'll put it online on the Remember World War II and that's channel. That's a great gift for their family. It
2: really is. I, I mean, was just you know, thinking that.
0: That's... We do our family lineage, which
1: is yeah. a lot of I think that got overlooked a little bit with the generations ahead of us. But that's huge for us if you can throw in a tape and listen to what your granddad did or your grandmother or your great grandfathers, because you're a lot like them. I mean, that's the past down here. Father, to son, father, to son, daughter, you know. Of course. So, I mean, just to hear what you've been through. Because that's yeah. what that is. That's what you've been through.
0: And that's really like why I'm doing this is because I, I just want to make sure that their stories are preserved. It's an excuse to meet my heroes, but it's also trying to do a nice thing. Because 200 years from now their great, 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 great grandkids are not just going to get to know their name. Like, I don't even know my great, great grandfather's name. But let's just say I knew that's all I knew, right? His name. But they won't, the people who were interviewing, their kin are going to get to know, you know, their great, great, great grandkids will get to know the way they look, the way they speak, the way they tell their stories, their entire history, as if they're there to tell it. Yeah. And so that's a pretty powerful thing. Because like you said, I mean, in that sense, they live forever. And there is no one that deserves that more than that generation you yeah. know
2: that is really cool
0: what is so, it mean, okay
1: so I'm sitting down with them i what what they say to you what's what's the reoccurring when you walk out of there there's there's got to be something that's been well enough it's like that's that's what all of this meant it's like it's sort of collective of like okay world war ii meant it did this this is this is what happened to them this is what came out of that you can think on that and get back to me. God's pretty deep. And I was like, oh, you know what I mean? I, just, just for, for for thought, man. I was like, there's something that that, that did something too. To, we, we see what it did to us, but what what it did because mm-hmm. if, if you go through something like that, man, there's a reason. I mean, it, you, you pull
0: something out of that. You know, I, I I think the main thing that I I've taken is just I'm a like I said, I'm a total civilian, so it's incredible just how gruesome and brutal their combat experiences were and how the world war ii generation did not let that change who they are as individuals and their ethos I this is kind of answering your question but i've met i've been privileged to meet some veterans who were uh, taken prisoner by the japanese and tortured you know, there's the Bataan Death March, was which was a yeah. 60, to 75 mile march that the Americans who were captured in the Philippines, Philippines were forced to go through barefoot, no food, no water for six days. And if they stopped, they would get bayoneted. I've interviewed some veterans because the, the POWs were going one way with Japanese guards. The Japanese were going the other way. And I've interviewed some prisoners who saw a Japanese. They just enjoyed killing. There would be a, a Japanese tank coming on the road. And some of the guards would push a weak POW in front of the tank. He'd get run over. Some of them would push them in a shallow ditch and bury them alive. I mean, the Japanese don't get enough credit for how awful they were when it comes to, you know, the rape and million you know murder of millions of Chinese and Filipinos and RPOWs. But so some of these veterans, you know, that was just the beginning. Then they had to suffer being a slave laborer for four years. Those veterans who come back, you know i have met many of them that i haven't forgotten what the japanese did but they they've forgiven them in a sense yeah. like it's not no, they don't like forget. they don't buy japanese cars or they or they call them all japs or anything like they have more important things to do with their life and and i think that has really been a common theme that for many people who go through a traumatic experience, their entire life would revolve around that experience and change their day-to-day existence forever. Sure. The World War II veterans seem to have had a series of traumatic experiences and, and not let that prevent them from living the fullest life they can, being good fathers, good parents, good contributors you know they're not alcoholics. You know, I mean, they're not. They're not. They're not drug abusers. They have decided to take those experiences and put it into raising their family, getting a job, contributing to their community. And by putting all that pent up energy, they've really built up our world. I mean, suburbia, man on the moon—that's all the World War II generation yeah. taking that extra pent up energy from from those you know horrible experiences. And I, I think the only other thing I would Add is, they don't take anything for granted, they'll take every opportunity they can for anything, right? Um, because they they just realize how I mean to be 19 and know that you could have been killed. Um, sure, is, well, it's, it's almost as if there's a
1: difference between living and living through something, like when they're, when sure. they're living them, I and that's all the time, as opposed to like, yo, I, I lived through that, I, I remember that ass whipping, right. I mean, but you just—we're in a different time, so you hold on to—you don't want to—I mean, remember it, but a lot of times holding on to it—that's what—that's what what eats some of them up, sure. Yeah.
2: Have you been to the World War II Museum in New Orleans?
0: I have not. Oh my gosh! uh, I have not. You're uh, gonna dig that. It's It's it's
2: amazing.
0: Yeah, I've heard it's a great museum. Yeah, when I when I first started out. I wanted to be. They have an oral history team themselves, mm-hmm. and so they do some interviews. And when I started doing interviews in my local community, I really just wanted to to be involved with them. But I mean, they just didn't want some high schoolers' help, I guess. So that kind well, of. They probably
1: didn't think you were serious. Now look at you.
0: Yeah. Now well, you. yeah, have but but even well, well even I mean, that's how it
1: works. I mean, you put this, the work five years now, bro. That's a that's yeah. an education. That's college. That's a military career. <laughs> I mean, that's that's put. When you put the work in like that, now people, you have a lot to stand on. That's that's huge, man.
2: And you have to understand, I mean, even if they were maybe passive to you or whatever when you were 18, you have done all of the work, and you can actually take that proof to them and say, I am committed to this. I'm on the same mission as you. Let's work together. Their museum sure. is really freaking cool. It's oh, no, I've
0: heard great things. Yeah. I, nothing, I, don't, I don't want to say anything negative. I've yeah. heard they're great oh, people. Yeah. No, that's not what we're and they at.
2: always have World War II veterans there to greet you
0: For when sure. you walk
2: in. It's a really neat experience. My kids even loved it. Um, have you been to the, uh, oh, my gosh. It's the Baton Death March Ruck that they do in Arizona. Yeah. Uh, have you gone to that? In New Mexico. Yeah, in New Mexico. I'm sorry. Yeah.
0: I haven't been there, but I interviewed uh, multiple times Ben Scardin. Okay. He was a 104-year-old baton death march survivor. Got two silver stars, two purple hearts. It was a big deal. But he, even at 104, was doing that march. Yeah. Ah, are you kidding me? Yeah, Is that I, true? No. Yeah, it's Oh, a- man.
2: It's really, and I haven't been. Like they been,
0: it
1: every year. Yeah, they oh, oh, I know that, but I mean, yeah, it's 104 out there reckon. Yeah, I feel like I'm, I'm gonna go do some really right
2: cool now. Another really cool thing that <laughs> wait, um, wait a yeah, that a a we second. that is being done with World War II veterans is the Honor Flight.
0: That's a great organization. I yeah.
2: love that organization. Oh, yeah. We did, um, we participated in some stuff for them. Freaking love what they do. It's a joy the, to
1: watch them get together. Yeah. You put the World War II guys and guys together, just to listen to. I mean, getting interviews one on one, letting them talk is one thing. Mm-hmm. Sure. You, you put them around some of those other ones, activate them, that's a completely different thing altogether.
2: Yeah. For the listeners that don't know what Honor Flight is, they actually take um, a group of World War Two veterans to dc and they have like an oral historian that goes through uh all the monuments and shows them like what has been built in honor of them basically and takes Mm -hmm. them all around dc showing them all the historical things um one of the things that i thought was really cool is on the way home on the airplane they do a mail call like they would have had overseas and beforehand the honor flight um volunteers get letters from the families yeah. and they give them oh make me cry they give them to them on the plane and they have no idea that they're gonna get these letters from their grandkids and you know whatever and it's just super sentimental and um I don't know it just really honors them and when they come home when they land there's all these volunteers, like like a band playing, and everyone's clapping and cheering them on, and it's just it's a really cool homecoming for them.
0: Yeah, I mean that's probably the only organization that you can never ever say anything negative about. Right. I, I've, been, <laughs> I've been privileged to because they have hubs. They have 136 across the country. Yeah. And so that's a big, you know, they're big a help when I get in touch with veterans.
2: Because oh, nice. I'll go to an
0: area and I'll connect to them, and they'll put me in touch with veterans and then we'll put their interviews on the channel and we'll do a shout out to that hub
2: oh, but they're that's a great awesome.
0: organization.
2: Yeah. And
0: and, and they they've been they they've flown over 250,000 veterans now. I know this cuz I've spoken at their summit. So oh, nice. I, I, yeah, so they're they're really nice people.
2: So how but are you getting your funding?
0: We're we're really not. I mean, the <laughs> that's a good question. Um I've been so fortunate that and really just blesses the word, because when I graduated, like I said, CBS Sunday Morning did a story and I got like 10,000 leads overnight about, you know, veterans across the country. And we raised about 120,000 on a GoFundMe. This is in 2016. And, and so I, you know, I, I hit the road uh, and I just kept on the road. That money ran out probably 2020 but then like another god thing our youtube channel picked up all of a sudden we started ad revenue but now that youtube channel because i don't censor the veterans like you know i as a civilian i find it very important that our society understands exactly what we ask the veteran community to go through for our way of life because the reality is Every step we go forward as a society, there's a trail of blood behind us and a path of blood in front of us. And unless we're going to acknowledge that, we can't ask people to go through hell. And and we need to know the reality. And so I don't censor the interviews. What the veterans went through is what we put on there. So a lot of that stuff has got age restricted. And our, our, our channel has been kind of shadow banned. So we don't get ad revenue anymore. And so it's been the last two years have been pretty tough. In order to afford the interviews, I live out of the car, which is not a big deal because I'm interviewing people who lived in foxholes, right? And people were trying to kill them. I mean, who were, I've interviewed veterans who've had legs or feet amputated because of the frostbite from the Battle of the Bulge, yeah. right? But it, funding is an issue. That's why I've been this, I've been trying to find a partner organization, you know, to ally with, because it's really, it's at the point where our, there are some really incredible veterans I know about, and I just can't get to them because I just don't have the the money. And, and that really sucks because by getting to them, you're giving them a chance at eternal life, you know, to, to have their stories live on forever. And yeah. I feel like every veteran I don't get to, I've killed because no one else has really been given this blank check to go out and go interview veterans. I have no family, so I don't have any liabilities. Right. This is the perfect time in my life to do this. And I just feel like this whole weight that uh, you have to get all of them, and and like, it's just not a good feeling when you don't when you miss someone that you could have interviewed hypothetically. So, because, do you have a
2: crowdfunding page or anything? Or
0: yeah, I, I, cre- I created another GoFundMe, but it's you know it, it's not at this point. I really think the main thing is is going to be an ally with another organization. Yeah. And so I'm just trying to find some organization that. That, you know, surprisingly, there are not many people out there doing interviews with veterans. I mean, there's you know, a lot of stuff for post 9-11, you know, yeah. uh, organizations, but not many World War II centric. Yeah. Um, and so, but the thing is, there's a lot of value to this footage. I mean, I'm not, oh, you know, prices. I'm not doing this for the financial reasons. Yeah,
2: so are you using just a regular video? Like, what's your, what's your setup? Are you using a GoPro or... How do you oh no that no
0: that? it's a c300 mark ii it's a cinema camera i have two audio i mean it's a, it's a professional okay. setup like the camera was like 11 grand or something i mean oh, it, it's a i i try to make it as professional as i can but still travel right because right? it all has to fit on a plane but it, we basically turned the veterans house into a mini studio um and so i you know because they deserve a good looking interview right and 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 this is how people are going to see them in the future and, and so you want to portray them, obviously, in the best way, you know, present them in the best way possible. But there's a lot of value to this footage because, you know, 15, 20 years, someone, you know, whoever has this archive is going to have a monopoly. They could license it. They could do whatever they want, you know, because people aren't getting this. I'm I'm proud in the fact that I'm the only person that's done interviews in all those different countries. Everyone who does interviews will do it regionally or do it, you know, maybe on a certain battle, but our, our scope has been so wide. It's been all combat veterans of the allied countries. And so it, it's some really incredible stories, especially when you go to like Australia, oh, yeah. they were in the war two years before us. Yeah. Right. And Those I
1: was man, they're awesome.
2: What are your parents saying?
0: What do you mean? Like, like are they I ready do? for
2: you to come home? I mean, to-
0: it was a pretty abusive gr- environment growing up. I'm not close to my father. Okay. And and so I'm you know I'm close to my mom. It was an arranged marriage, which mm-hmm. is really a forced marriage. But uh, you know, it and so it, the the same time I got the funding to get out of the house, it, it was really like I said a godsend because mm-hmm. it was not going to be a, a safe environment to stay there. I I don't communicate. I you know I stay in touch with my mom. Yeah. But it's really. That's another thing, you know, that's why I'm able to do this. Some people are so close to their family, yeah. they wouldn't be able to be on the road every day for five years. They would have to, you know, go home. But if you don't have that close with a family, it's not a hindrance. But, you know, I can't imagine they'd be angry if you see your kid on national TV for something good, right? Right. Oh, right.
2: well, but, that's what really I've learned, cool that... you know,
0: the veterans have really stepped in that role. Yeah, I, mean, I have the best role models of what it means to be a, a good father, a good husband. And, and I'm very thankful for that. And so I, I, I firmly believe that family is not blood. It's who you choose. Oh,
1: well, you ought to see how we back each other up. Yeah. Like you weren't one of us, but doing, taking care of our, our elderly like that. They're ours. Mm-hmm. Right. And one of ours and doing that, you did it. Yeah. And now that you're out doing that and people start to sit, I mean, who you, you're sitting in front of me now.
2: Yeah.
1: I mean, I got I a mean, wire and a line straight to all of them.
2: Yeah. I was going to so, say, like they've become your family. Yeah, that's your family. Yeah.
1: You can be born with them or kicked to them. I got kicked to the, to the vets too. That's why I became one of them. Same with you. I mean, if you're scribing for them, that's, mm-hmm. just hold the line. Hold the line. And it, it all comes around. You, you, you said it. Uh, I've caught it in three different times you said it, man. It's like, it's like a God thing. I'm like, all right, so if you're going down one and getting picked up on another, then you're on your path. You're, you're good to go. How do people follow you? Mm-hmm. How, do, how, do, how, do I, how do I put the word out so people can, can track you down?
0: I mean, I mean, the main thing is, uh, you know, we have that website, Remember World War II. So it's rememberww2.org. That's, you know, if you know any World War II veterans, that's that's where to reach out. We have the YouTube channel, Remember World War II. Um, I mean, and the GoFundMe is gofundme.com slash rememberww2. But I mean, that's really the main thing. I, we're always looking for more veterans to interview, but really like also organizations to ally with because there, there there are still hundreds of thousands of veterans around. I mean, there's still a lot of stories to be captured and I just can't be a one-man band anymore. I really oh, am no, hoping sure. to, to find someone to, that, uh because like you said, the footage is valuable and it, it really, it's, it's an incredible uh, opportunity to get all these veterans on camera. I don't want to wake up in a world where what we did to the world war one veterans is what we would do to world war two we waited till there was like 10 world war one veterans left all like 107 and above before they got showered with media attention and the only reason they were even famous was because of their age and it's not because of what they did or you know who they are uh it was just because they were so old and there's like literally maybe 12 interviews with world war one veterans on camera. And they've been around since the early 1900s. Yeah. You know, obviously it's not as severe with world war two, but we still have people who landed Omaha beach first wave. We still have people who fought in North Africa, people who survived the Bataan death March, people who fought in the Philippines. We have these incredible stories still with us, these legitimate heroes that we could totally document. And, you know, it's like if a civil war veteran suddenly came up out of the grave, all the world's media would be showering him with attention. And I don't, you know, what I don't understand is why can't we do the same for world war II and not wait till there's only one because, because they're still out there and we could totally do this. If we wanted to, as a society, we could interview every single world war II veteran. I mean, everyone has a camera on their phone. If you had some kind of you know, national movement or some kind of initiative with a central organization, you could crowdsource these interviews from all across the world, and we would be future-proofing our society so that a war in which seventy million people were killed was not in vain and would be remembered basically forever. And so, I mean, you know, we we can do it if people want to do it. Yeah. Well, it always starts with one just like
1: you bro yeah that's doing, really awesome the, we're really the, yeah.
2: proud of you and thank you again uh, for doing that yeah
1: for coming on and talking about it man we're gonna we'll no, keep i, in touch I, I you. just
0: really appreciate the platform what's
2: your actual instagram handle because there's uh, a couple of remember world war
0: Two. we don't have an instagram you don't have
2: an instagram okay well, we, yeah
0: sorry we have it we have it. we have tiktok okay uh, but with the, the main things remember uh, the youtube channel and it's just remember ww2
2: okay Got
0: it. Um I yeah, I mean it, the goal was obviously to get all the veterans on camera. So the more we can get, the better. Hey, don't get down on yourself. It's easy to do that.
1: Yeah. After a while when you've been working at it, okay? When you're by yourself, when you're when you're going through these struggles, man, that you're suffering. I get it. I can see it, man. Yeah. Uh, you're at you. I, I get it. I can see it, I mean, but don't worry about that. Just hold the freaking line. Mm-hmm. Every one of those veterans has told you that. And if you don't think for one second it's not going to be a blessing coming at you, you're wrong. That's just how it works, especially with those veterans, man. I don't yeah. know how it is, but it is.
2: And Marcus and I will talk about it and try to figure out yeah, how we, we can, out, um, how we can help mm-hmm. and even hook you up with. She's kind of War-
1: funny about our World War Two guys as well. She, <laughs> she's overprotective of them, and just like uh, our family is, we all uh, I have them in my family. Yeah. So
2: I I understand you reaching out to people and not hearing back because you don't have. Um like it's hard. You know, if you don't have a name or you're not associated with somebody, it's just hard to get in. And I get that. Um but maybe we can make some phone calls and just Well, sex Yeah, we'll figure it out and um Andrew can give you my number and uh like I said Marcus and I'll talk about it afterwards and um, have the meeting of the minds and figure out what the best route is, but we would love to help you in however we can and Make and Our biggest asset is making introductions. We Hell can't yeah, promise anything, but we can make the introductions. Yeah. And at least, you know, even having you on today gives you a platform where people are going to hear what you're doing. And I...
1: Hey, you just keep going.
2: Yeah, I pray That's that, all you need to
1: worry about. Don't get down on yourself, man. You yeah. Don't be afraid to say anything. It crops up in that head of yours. I mean, God put you right here in front of us. Mm-hmm. Ask your questions. And we're going to spit it back out there. and Just keep going.
2: I pray I that the right anybody person. like you. Yeah.
1: Even if you come across, I mean, just you keep going. All right. I mean, I, no one else is out there doing it like that. Like you are. They, they usually get the backing first. So you went out and did it backwards.
0: Like yeah. You put the yeah, work exactly. in
1: first and then now you are coming because there's an organization out there with the World War II veterans that over, protects them, overwatches them and wants all that information and especially looks for people who really care about them.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So just keep doing what you're doing and we'll take care of the rest.
2: Yeah. Thank you.
0: God bless you, I really brother. appreciate it. God bless you guys. And just thank you for the, the opportunity. Yeah, to talk we'll with you stay guys. in touch. Yeah, we'll be in touch with you, man. Yeah, Merry I really Christmas. appreciate it. All right, brother. It. Take care, man. All of that. God bless. Right.
2: Bye.